0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to talk about something this morning that is so fundamental to the faith, so fundamental to our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, that interestingly enough, in the epistles, at least to what I can research and find, and I researched it and looked for it and cannot find it. The word disciple or discipleship is not used in the epistles to my knowledge. Now, if I'm wrong, let me know. I want you to think about that for a second. The Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to go and make disciples. That's the command. In the 21 epistles, (laughs) the word discipleship or disciples is not even brought up. I think, and the question is, why is that? I don't even know where to research that. I haven't found anybody that comments on that. The fact of the matter is, just from my own opinion, studying the word of God, you take it? With a season of salt, with a season of grace, I believe it's so fundamental to the Christian walk, it's so fundamental to our lives that it goes without say that we ought to be following God as willing learners of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. It shouldn't even be a question. When we come to know Christ and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we begin to walk in this journey that we call the Christian life, God comes to live within us and he begins to empower us to do the very things that he's commanded us to do, that which he knows we are too weak to accomplish in and of our own selves. We begin to learn to depend upon him, to trust him, to walk by faith. And in the midst of that, it goes without say that he's first in everything, in everything. This morning when we look at this, we're looking at the church and grace and this series of messages of, of the Bible Jesus being the hero of history, and this morning we're going to look at what is the mission of the church, and it is fundamentally in so many different ways to make disciples. We're here to glorify the Lord, clearly. Everything that we do ought to be for his glory, ought to be glorifying to him. In other words, when people see us and they recognize that we're called Christians, they immediately begin to glorify God because they recognize God working in and through us. We don't bring glory to ourselves. We bring glory to God. How do we do that? By yielding our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And The idea of glory is that he is correctly thought of. He is recognized for who he truly is when people begin to see us. So when we begin to forgive one another, love one another, we begin to walk in all the one another's, we begin to walk surrendered and yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ by his strength, by his grace, by his power, then people who don't have hope, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are questioning whether there's even a God, they begin to see us and they can't explain it. And it gives us the opportunity to give an account for the hope that we have within us when they come to ask us about that hope and we don't say, well, it's because of my life. Look how good I am. We say, no, no, let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me, what he wants to do for you. Make disciples. Matthew 28 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnic groups. He's not talking about the borders that we have kind of divided this world up, he's talking about ethnic groups baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the question is, what's the command? Fascinating. I'm an SBCer, right? We can poke fun at ourselves a little bit. I've seen many, 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 many different publications in the SBC saying that go is the command, and, my friend, that is not the command. The command is make disciples. The issue is as you go, as you're following the Lord, as you're being led by the Lord, as you're yielding your life to the Lord, and in the journey that he has for you, as soon as you begin to walk out this door, and it may be in the fellowship mall, it may be with your own family, it may be at work, it may be with your neighbor, it may be across the world, as you go, make disciples. And friends, the reality of it is that it's got to be God in us that is transforming us so that we even have the heart and the mind in order to do that very thing. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God in us by his grace, transforming us and then revealing himself through us to the world. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, the Lord says to the disciples, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, ability, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, you shall testify truthfully about who I am, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Beautiful. Folks, we're called to make disciples, and we're called to, as we go, make disciples, and that includes our own territory, that includes our state, that includes our nation, and it even includes to the uttermost. Not everybody's called to each and every specific arena. Some of us are called to Jerusalem, some of us are called to the uttermost. Most of you would probably faint if the Lord called you to do what the Gosons have done <laughs> or the Teshas, <sighs> out. What? <laughs> but they've been called there. Many of us are called right here. Amen. Make disciples, follow God, do what He has in His strength and in His power, in His time, in His way. Joseph Dillo states this. says, "The Great Commission command is to make disciples. In explaining how this is to be done, three activities are specified: going, baptizing and teaching. Going means to go to them and explain the gospel. Baptizing identifies those who have responded publicly as new converts. It doesn't save us. It reveals externally what God's done internally. And teaching is simply instruction in the Christian life. And that teaching moment can take place with one person or many people. Doesn't matter. The bottom line is make disciples, baptizing them, and then teaching them. Bring them to the cross. There are evangelists who are amazing at this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they bring people to the cross, and people get saved, and then they turn them over to teachers. They turn them over to other people. They turn them over to people who are disciples and who are going to sit down with them one-on-one in order to walk through what it means to grow in Christ. Amen. It takes the body of Christ to do this, folks. And as a body, this is absolutely what we better be about. As we follow the Lord, he commands us to make disciples. Do you realize that what happens as we're following the Lord is that in following the Lord, that God is doing a work in us and he's beginning to transform us. We're being metamorphosized. Right? He tells us don't be conformed, don't be pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We get into the word of God, we begin to think God's thoughts. The Holy Spirit begins to use the word of God in, in our lives in order to transform us so that we begin to think the way God thinks. We begin to yield to him. We begin to walk by faith because we're persuaded that God is able. And in the midst of our walk, we're saying, here I am, Lord, use me. Lord, how would you lead me today? It's your day. How would you use my time, which is actually not my time, it's your time? Lord, would you bring somebody into my life that I would have the opportunity and the privilege of sharing you with? Or Lord, would you lead me to somebody that you will show me that that's the person today, maybe tomorrow, that I need to share you with? Whatever. But there's a point of following and there's a point of transformation and there's a point of availability to the Lord to be utilized in the midst of this amazing field that is white with harvest. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say day by day, that is what we do and we get to know Christ in the midst of it, we get to learn of him and grow in him. (laughs) And there's times where we trip and stumble, and we got to confess it and get right in it. And God uses even that to reveal himself, his mercy, his kindness, his gentleness, his grace. As we follow the Lord, he commands us to make disciples. And the blessing of this is every command in the New Testament given to us actually rests upon the Holy Spirit within us in order to accomplish it. I don't care which command you come up with. Make disciples, love one another. It doesn't matter. Whatever, you wanna, whatever command you want to say, ultimately the Holy Spirit alone within us is able to accomplish this. What we've got to learn to do is yield to the Lord, to say yes to the Lord, to walk in his strength and in his power. It's already ours. We don't have to try to get into a room that we're already in. We just have to recognize the room that we are in and begin to learn to appropriate it. Because God lives in us, that's grace. God desires to transform us, that's grace. And then God wants to be revealed through us. Guess what? That's grace. It's all by him, folks. We're not gonna get any of the glory for this. Amen. Three things, the calling, the calling. What's the calling? It's to follow the Lord. What's the cost? To deny self. And what's the command? We're gonna look at this closely. It is to make disciples. First of all, the calling to follow the Lord. When we talk about discipleship, when we talk about disciples. What does it actually mean? What does that mean? We we've gotten it all kinds of ways twisted up, right? We we've kind of taken this term discipleship and we've fitted it into our own little world and our own uh, kind of box, and I fear that we have lost the impact of what this word actually means. It is not simply a class on Wednesday nights right? It's not just a time that the church decrees is going to take place, kind of like what we've done with worship. When David starts to lead, well, then we're worshiping. No, worship takes place all week long. And my prayer is it would take place on Sunday morning as well, David's prayer as well. Discipleship can take place in a class, but it's really the availability of an individual in following the Lord. And the definition Spiros gives is great The word discipleship means not only to learn, but to become attached to one's teacher and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life. In other words, what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches becomes so instrumental to us that we embrace it and it transforms the very life that we have to live. It's seen in our actions, it's seen in our thoughts, it's seen in our attitudes. The Lord is the first on our mind, with everything. Lord, what would you have? Lord, where do you want to lead? Lord, would you strengthen me in this? Lord, I'm not sure that this was you, but would you make that clear to me? And we get into the word of God and our minds are renewed and we become disciples in that we are embracing all that the Lord has for us, all that the Lord is. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Well, we can't be a disciple, if we're not believers, right? Unbelievers are not disciples. They may look like them, they may sound like them, they may even come to church. But in order to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to have received the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. My prayer here is that everybody here is saved in truth. Not just because you've been born into a a nation that has uh, Christianity stamped on it or because your family uh, have been Christians and as a result, you've got this idea that, well, I'm a Christian because my dad or my mom's a Christian. My family are Christian, therefore I'm a Christian. No, 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 friend. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a personal decision. And in order to be a disciple, you need to be saved and secondly, believers, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Believers who are willing learners or followers of Christ. And I put that word willing in there. Willing. We are willing learners. We are willing followers of the Lord. He doesn't mandate and say, "Wow, well, here's he says, this is what I want you to do. But guess what? We have a decision to make, don't we? And it's not just a one-time decision, although usually there's a memorial stone you can look back on but it is a constant growing in Christ to where the Lord uh, is on this journey with us and he has a specific journey for each and every one of our lives and the question is, are we willing to follow him in this new path that, that he has for us and sometimes these are paths that are difficult and sometimes we're not sure where that path ends up. And we're not sure exactly how we're going to even stay on that path and we've got to learn to trust the Lord that he's the way and that we enjoy him along the path, along the journey because that's all that really matters. In the epistles, as I said, the words disciple or discipleship are not used. And I, I think the question is, why? In your K groups, you're going to be looking at the epistles. And, and what are the epistles? And I would suggest the reason for that is because it's so fundamental to the Christian walk and the Christian faith that the idea that somebody who would become a believer and then would somehow not desire to follow Christ is foreign to the writers. It ought to be there. We should all be disciples. There are times where I think we draw lines with God and we say, we're very comfortable, thank you very much. But God will always challenge that. And the Lord will even discipline us in that. If as his children, we decide that we know better than him. The writers of the epistles are constantly defining certain things. They define what Christ has done for us, salvation by grace, who we are in Christ, what's our identity in Christ, what our walk with him should look like, what it should not look like. When you look at the epistles as a whole, they are letters to the churches predominantly and or individuals within the churches who are leading the churches and the congregations and the bodies of believers within different areas within the known world. And the the issue is simply what has Christ done for you? How should you be walking? How should you be walking by faith, if you want to put it that way? And how should you not be walking? Because when we choose to walk according to the flesh, we're no longer walking according to what God's called us into. We're not walking according to the Spirit of God. We're not walking by faith. We're walking by our own efforts, our own flesh, sinful nature. We're walking by sight, no longer by the power of God. Well, what does the walk of a disciple look like if in Ephesians? There's a great picture of this because the first three chapters are all about who we are in Christ. The last three chapters are all about what we should look like as a result In Ephesians 4.1, he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. How do you do that? By the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Believers ought to abide in Christ. Not only are we to be following him, not only are we to be walking in a manner worthy, but we are to abide in him. John 15, verses 4 and 5, He says, abide in me and I in you. He's talking to believers. He's not talking about save from hell moment here. He's talking about as believers. We are to continuously remain within the truth of God. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. We cannot produce fruit apart from Christ in us, transforming us and producing his life in and through us. And in verse 5 he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Not one thing. <laughs> Make disciples, anybody? Think about that. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. You're not able to do one thing. In Christ, we can do all things because he strengthens us. How are we walking with him? See, a disciple is a willing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. A disciple is somebody who's walking in a manner worthy because they're yielding their lives to the Lord. They're abiding in Christ, and they are filled by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, and believe me, there are a multitude of verses that I could go to on this, but Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Love that. Those who were willing followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were believers, and as a result, they were then willing followers of the Lord. How were they walking? They were walking filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Folks, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be filled with joy. And if you're filled with joy, it's because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. you catch it? You see somebody walking around like Eeyore, put your arm around them and say, Brother, sister, what's wrong? Are you experiencing the Lord today? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, because there's no joy. <laughs> well, not only do we walk with Him, not only does a disciple look like somebody who is, in effect, following because we're called to follow the Lord and they're following Him in truth, but there's a cost, isn't there? There's a cost. Denying self. Denying self. First of all, there's a complete yielding to the Lord. A complete yielding to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, some of the great verses on this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of everything that I've just written, I am imploring you to do what? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed, be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The cost is to present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, what we've done in in so many different ways is we've compartmentalized our lives We do the worship thing on Sunday morning, and then Monday through Saturday, maybe not so much. We do the discipleship thing on Sunday morning, maybe Sunday night at some churches, maybe Wednesday night at some churches, but in between that, we have our lives to live. So Lord, I've given you this much, and I'll I'll do this amount, but over here, that's my turf. That's not denying oneself. That's putting yourself in the command chair. And the Lord's got to be in that chair. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, the activity that you participate in, all the things that you are doing, glorify the Lord. May he be thought of correctly, not only in your own mind, but through your life that others would recognize that God is at work in and through you because you're not your own. You've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Glorify God in your body. So there's a complete yielding to the Lord. Secondly, there's obviously a denying of self. There's a carrying of the cross. The cost of discipleship is a full abandonment of my life for Christ and for others. Obviously, that's not easy. Why? Because it's sacrificial. Sacrificial of what? Of time, of treasure, of talent. Everything that I am is the Lord's. He created me, and therefore it's for him, and it's for his glory. And Lord, here I am. Use me in whatever way you choose. In Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 27, he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. As believers, we need to count the cost. As believers, we need to say, okay, what is God calling me into? And what does he promise? Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. See, we get to experience God in the midst of this journey, but as believers, we have the opportunity of, of experiencing God in deeper and deeper ways. But there's a cost. He's not saying to hate your father and mother, he's not saying to hate your wife. He's saying that the love that you have for me as the primary purpose and goal of your life is essential. It is the first thing. Every other relationship pales in comparison to the one that you have with me. Luke 14, 33, he says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. Do you mean the Lord's going to ask me to give it all up? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that may be a little scary to some of us. We cringe about that. You mean, what do I got to give up? That's mine. I worked for it. I earned it. It's all for me. I mean, I give the Lord a little bit of it. No, no, no. What he's saying is, everything, everything, is for Him. Because there's an understanding here that He's the Lord, and if He's the Lord, He's over all. He reigns supreme. Guess what? Do we own anything? We don't own a thing. It's all his anyway. (laughs) So if we think we own something, if we think we can keep something from him, we're living a lie. And the truth of the matter is it's all his. Count the cost. Count the cost. What does that do? It changes our life. It changes our priorities, doesn't it? As disciples, you can't have the same priorities. You can't have the same appearance of life as what you did before you became a believer. And when you become a believer, you have an option now. You have a choice to make. Am I going to follow God? Am I all in? Or am I going to draw certain lines? Am I going to compartmentalize my life? See Matthew 10, 37 and following, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Priorities shift. It's not about what I want, it's about what does he want. It's not about what I can do for God. It's about what God has done for me and what he wants to do in and through me. Everything changes when we recognize the truth and reality of who the Lord is and the right that he has in our lives. Galatians 6.14, I love what Paul speaks to here. He says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Can that be said of us? Let me ask you something. What do you have ownership in today? What do you claim is yours? Wow, there's all kinds of things, isn't there? All kinds of things. We we claim ownership of stuff at church. It's amazing. We claim ownership of our possessions. We claim ownership of many different things. And we say, wow, we don't really own it. Yeah, but you, if somebody were to take it away from you, how would you respond? What if the Lord knew that this wasn't necessary in your life and decided to eliminate it? How would you respond to the Lord? How would you react to him? Wow. Those are hard lessons, but they're good lessons. Because in the end, we find that the Lord owned it in the first place. And the Lord has the right to take it. And the Lord can give it back if he so chooses. Whatever the Lord wants to do is fine. Because we've learned to count the cost. And it's changed our lives. It's changed the priorities of our lives. Again, quoting from Joseph Dillo, he says, a disciple is one who denies himself, is willing to leave his family, and follows Jesus. The condition for discipleship is to forsake all and follow Christ. Wow. As believers, we have that decision to make. I love this story. Have you heard of the Monrovians? Uh, years ago, there was a group of people that felt called of the Lord in order to take the gospel into the parts of the world that nobody had been before. And so there was one particular circumstance where they had taken a couple of years in order to get all the supplies. They had to travel by ship. They did not have text messaging, right? They did not have the Internet. They did not have satellite feed. So this was going to be a trip where, uh, in reality, the families knew that this would probably be the last time they ever saw those who were being called to go. And they got on the ship and it was a big thing and they were all down at the, at the port at the harbor and they were, they were watching as everything got packed and everything was then ready to go. They were about to push off and one of the reporters down there yelled up to the captain of the ship and he said, sir, what if the cannibals kill you? And I love the captain's response. He said, we're already dead. Think about that. That's discipleship, folks. That's a dying to self, laying it all down, recognizing that the Lord is in command. My life is not my life. It is his life, and whatever he chooses to do with it is good. It's okay. Following the Lord has great reward, by the way, and I think that's important to understand. The Lord knows the sacrifices. The Lord knows the decisions, and the Lord has promised that if it's out of faith, it will remain. And when we look at our future and eternity, we recognize that there will be great reward for following Christ. And the amazing part of it is that the Lord actually does a work in and through us. The Lord is the one who deserves all the credit. The fact that he would even reward us is incredible grace. But he's promised to do that. Thirdly, the command, make disciples, right? We read Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Uh, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you have that slide? Can we put that up? Let me just show you this uh, in terms of discipleship, because I think what we've done is we've, we've called discipleship as if somehow it's just for believers, Discipleship just takes place on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning in a Bible fellowship class, a K group, whatever. The truth of the matter is discipleship is the banner word that includes both evangelism and equipping. Evangelism meaning missions taking the gospel to the lost as the Lord leads, following him in the midst of the harvest, and equipping, which means teaching people who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are now saved, who are now children of God, and helping them be deepened in their understanding of what God has said. It's both. Somehow we have separated the two as if somehow they don't relate to one another. That's missions over there, and this is discipleship over there, or equipping is over there, or missions is over there. And it gets all convoluted, and it gets all kind of interestingly strange. The truth of the matter is, it is... Under the umbrella of discipleship and so we see God lead people in order to share uh, their testimonies with those who are unbelievers and we see God do a work in those unbelievers lives to draw them to himself they become saved and then we as the body of Christ have the opportunity to teach them to equip them to see them deepened in their faith to grow in Christ from immaturity to maturity from babes in Christ who need some milk and then finally there comes a point where they get off the milk and they begin to eat solid food to the point where they're actually eating meat. Amen to that. <laughs> Steak, please. Ribeye, particularly. Growing in Christ, all of it, all of it, all of it is a work of God. Why do we do the ministry fair? Why do we do all the activity at this church? Why do we invest in and pour into classes and ministry areas? Is it so we can feel good about ourselves? I sure hope not. I think there's a a right sense of recognizing God at work and there's a, a sense of health in the midst of following him and what he wants us to do and the activity that he has for us. But fundamentally, why are we doing what we do? It's so that people will grow in Christ. So that people who don't know the Lord will recognize they need the Lord, will come to the Lord, will receive the Lord, will be saved, and then will be able to grow so that they in turn can begin to walk in the Great Commission, whether it's in their families, their friends, their peer groups, whatever it may be. Why do we do what we do? It's to lift Christ up high so that each and every person, no matter what maturity level you're at, can grow in Christ and learn to walk with the Lord to where we count the cost, where we're as disciples following him and our lives are absolutely committed to him. When we talk about discipleship, we've kind of confused this. And I know that because I've had many conversations about this. Folks, discipleship is what every believer ought to be, should be. Are we walking as disciples? And are we willing to be used of the Lord to follow him in what he chooses as we walk as disciples, how are we relating to one another? How is God being glorified not only through our own personal lives, but also through the body of Christ, the church? How does a church grow? John MacArthur, in the context of holiness, speaking about his experience at Grace Church in California recognized that when he first took over that there needed to be a focus on holiness. There needed to be repentance of fleshly carnality within the body of Christ. There needed to be church discipline because believers need to walk in Christ. And when we don't walk in Christ, we need to be admonished and corrected. And we need to uh, have somebody come alongside of us and say, Wait a second, brother. Wait a second, sister. That's not the right way. Let's walk in the way that God has for us. And he makes this statement, and I thought it was interesting because all these all these people were coming to his church to say, "Well, what are you doing that your church is growing? What's the five step plan?" And I love what he says. He said, "We didn't have one. What we did was antithetical to church growth, to the church growth movement. We pointed out people's sin. We said this was wrong. We said this is the way we should be walking. We ought to be disciples. We shouldn't be carnal in our walk with Christ. Our lives aren't our own; they're His." And so he didn't have an answer. And he said, I I love the fact that we didn't have an answer. He said, we're just trying to follow Christ. We're trying to follow the Lord. This is a work of God. And there's really no explanation to it. And he makes this statement. He says, you see, the illusion, the illusion is that you and I can grow the church, that we have the power to grow the church by our own cleverness, by our ingenuity, by our style, by our winsomeness, by our words. (laughs) What a lie from the pit. What did the Lord say? I will, what? Build my church. Folks, as we walk with the Lord and as we're rightly related to the Lord, as we individually have a right relationship with the Lord and we are absolutely yielded to him in everything, we've counted the cost and we we recognize that everything is his. God begins to do a transformative work in us. And in the midst of that, it changes the way that we relate to one another. And in the midst of that, the body of Christ begins to be formed by the Lord himself, who knows whether you need to be a left hand, a right hand, a right foot, a left foot, whether you need to be a neck, whatever you need to be. And he knows how to fit the body together. And then the body being fitted together by the Lord, being equipped growing in Christ as each individual begins to serve in the capacity that God has gifted us to serve. Then each individual begins to serve another. And in the midst of that, love is something that is recognized. And we're not talking about the feeling or the emotion of it. We're talking about the decision to put somebody else above myself. And it's at that point that a body of believers begins to glorify the Lord, and the Lord uses that body of believers in the midst of the community so that that community begins to look at that body and say, there's something that's going on there that's not of man, it is of God, and there's no other explanation for it than that God is at work, and we have the opportunity at that point to say, look at our God, and look what he can do, because we know us, and it's a work of grace, and it's a work of God in our lives. Praise the Lord. When we talk about the Great Commission, what testimony do we have if we're not living it ourselves? How can we invite other people to come in and be disciples if we ourselves are not willing to say, he's the Lord and it's all for him? I have to say that to myself every day, folks. The question is a profound one. Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to count the cost Do we recognize that eternity And our walk with the Lord is worth it? Or do we somehow think that having been invested into this life and into the material and all the things is what's going to last? How are we growing in Christ? How are we growing in Christ? Are we experiencing the Lord? Are we willing to follow Him in everything? What's our heart condition for the lost? What's our heart condition for the lost? See, if we're rightly related to the Lord and we're walking with him, then he's the Lord of the harvest and he has a heart for the lost, which means what? You and I are gonna sense a deep compassion for those who are without God and without hope in this world and the Lord will begin to lead us to pray for them and maybe even to come alongside of them and if necessary to use words and at times it is clearly necessary and he'll give us the boldness to say what needs to be said in love, in gentleness, in kindness. Are we willing to deny all? Are we willing to forsake all? Are we willing to take up our cross and follow him? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.